Mr. Barton Maths Podcast with me, Craig Barton. A few of my students have been listening to my podcast and have taken it upon themselves to give me some constructive feedback. Apparently, I'm trying to put on a posh voice and this bit at the start goes on far too long. Cheers for that, girls. So, to keep the fans happy, I best get cracking. This episode, I spoke to Mel Muldowney, better known as Mel from the Just Maths website and blog. I've been a huge fan of Mel's work for a good few years now. Her blog posts are inspiring, engaging and provocative all in one. And the workshop she and her colleague Chris Seagar gave at the Edexcel conference in Warwick last summer was one of the best I have ever attended. I asked Mel loads of things, including how does she plan her lessons? Can she describe a lesson that did not go to plan and what did she learn from it? And a candid answer to that question propels me to exercise a few lesson demons as well. How difficult did she find the move to a new school? What are the most successful strategies that her and Seagar have implemented? And how are Mel's school reporting data on students in years 7 to 10? I am obviously completely biased, but I think this is a cracking listen. I was blown away by Mel's honesty, openness and passion for her job. I really hope you agree. Just a reminder that you can contact me with questions for my future podcast guests on Twitter, where I am at MrBartonMaths, or via my website and blog, which can be found at MrBartonMaths.com. I'd also like to point you in the direction of the collection page on Diagnostic Questions, where you can find loads of curated collections of the finest quizzes, including my very own New Maths GCSE collection and a GCSE Intervention collection, all completely for free. And that's on diagnosticquestions.com forward slash collections. But before any more of my listeners up and leave, I'd better shut up. I hope you enjoy the show and I will see you on the other side. Okay, Mel, if we could start with your three speed dating questions, if that's all right. So firstly, what is your favourite number and why? Oh, that's a difficult one. Um, For me, I'm a massive fan of Big Bang Theory and Sheldon Cooper, when he says that 73 is his favourite number and he was asked why, um, it just sticks in my mind that it's the the 21st prime number. It's mirror is 37. Um, Sorry, it's mirror 37 is the 12th prime number. um, Who of which it's mirror 21 is the product of hanging and he says something like hang on to your hat seven and three which gets you back to 73 um and some people won't be old enough but i remember a thing when i was a child a tv program on a saturday morning which was number 73 with sandy toxvig in the early days flipping hey that's a throwback hey that's that's a cracking answer that one i like that one very good um well second one then what what was your favorite topic in maths as a student oh as a student i still love it absolutely adore teaching thirds um i remember being really hanging around at the end of the lesson and nagging my teacher can I have some more of them simplifying <laughs> um anything to do with thirds Unfortunately, my kids haven't, or the students I teach, haven't taken it to it so um, so deeply. And I will. I'll uh, I'll get it ingrained in them. They did like the fact that I call it turds. <laughs> it's best just to come straight out with that, isn't it? Because it, it's yeah. always going to come up in the lesson. So yeah, if you're the first to bring it up, yeah, yeah that face is the way. it off. <laughs> what is it about turds that you like? 
I don't know, I just think there's something satisfying about knowing that it's almost self-checking as well. And it's just this sense, and I think that's the thing with maths with me, is that this sense of satisfaction you get from solving something, and I always see them as, how can I get it simpler? And I just love it. It's just it's just something really, sounds really bizarre, but really pretty about them. For me, it's just, it's the simplicity that you can get to. I suppose. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think I'll go with you on that one. I, I like him as well because a lot of the all the rules of algebra work with thirds as well, and it's it's a nice way of tidying up some nasty numbers. And yeah, you can get some some beautiful problems that once you chuck a few thirds in and things start disappearing, and you end up with a oh. lovely answer. Yeah, that yeah. does it for me. But likewise, not for my year 11s. I uh. think that's quite interesting because I love algebra, and when you you teach certain kids, and as a teacher, you've got that kind of love for a specific topic area. They tend to get it too, and I'd never thought about it till I taught my first set of students for five years. And at the end of the five years, they're coming out going, "Oh, algebra! I love it! I love it!" And you just think, "How have I influenced you?" Yeah, um, well, you're absolutely you're absolutely right, and it's every teacher's got their favourites, and hopefully that that gets instilled on the kids. And I guess the trick is. Um, and I find this difficult because I hate things like flipping density and compound measure and all that it brings me down. And it's it's trying not to instill that hatred on, on your kids as well, isn't it, I guess? Yeah. At the yeah. Same time. Um, OK, well, my third speed dating question is what job would you like to do if you weren't a teacher? Oh, I think I've probably done everything I've wanted to do because I've been very lucky. Um, and I have been tempted back into the corporate world probably i would if i was to do anything i'd go back into a previous so sort of back into the corporate world looking at um, marketing pr that kind of thing helping people run their own businesses um but if my boss is listening i have no intention <laughs> well that leads me very nicely on to, to the first question about how you became a teacher could you uh, describe the steps involved in your career to date Oh, right. I'll give you the... Sh- I'll try to give it a short <laughs> I will try. Um, when I was a child, like most people, you have no frame of reference. So my frame of reference was my parents, shopkeeper. My father was a steel worker. Teachers. Uh, so as a child, up very young, I always wanted to be a teacher. I used to play the thing with my, with my cousins and all my friends where I'd be the teacher and they were the students. Uh, their little desks in my bedroom, very bossy. <laughs> You're <laughs> joking. <laughs> and then um, there, I, was, I was a child of the 80s, so uh, we had our milk taken off us, but it was also the time of the strikes. And so as I got a bit older, I actually thought, it ain't as good as it's cracked up to be. And so I went off to do engineering. Um, at the end of my engineering course, I decided, actually, I think I still want to teach. So I got a place on doing a PGC to teach design and technology. Uh, because I had an engineering background. And then this guy walked into my life in my last year of my university, just as I was doing my finals. Um, and I never, ever took my PGCE place up because three weeks later, this guy moved into my flat. Um, I was staying in staying in Leamington when I had, did my, because I was at Warwick University. Um, I'd always worked through uni, it's pubs and restaurants and this guy happened to be, three weeks later, he moved into my flat. Like, did you know he'd moved into your flat? This wasn't oh, like a it, surprise, was it? No, it wasn't a surprise. It, it, was, it was sort of, it, it just happens. He stayed one night and then never left. Um, <laughs> and he happened to be my boss at work. And then 22 years later, we're still together, but we were married within six months. And so my career went, I, I, everything stopped. And I, the idea of being a teacher stopped. 
And we went off into the pub trade together and we, we did a massive development with Whitbreads, um, Town Centre Boozers. And that was really great fun. For being 21, Town Centre, two and a half thousand people in the pub. It was amazing. It was exactly what you needed to, as, a, as a young person. I couldn't do it now. Um, and then my mother was killed in a hit and run at about, I was about 26. And it, everything felt very shallow. And I came back and I sat there one Saturday night and watched these 2,000 people come through. And it was like watching a slow motion film. And I just said to my husband, my mum didn't work to put me through university for me to be a glorified barmaid. Um, and I, I saw a job about three days before being an area manager for the pub, for the pub industry. So I applied for the job. Um, and then at the interview, and we're talking, we're going back probably 18 years ago, 15 years ago. And this guy, I rang the guy before the interview and he said, actually, you're too young. And he wouldn't get away with it now, but he said, you're a woman. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and I get that because a lot of the pubs I'd be looking after were, were all run by men. So I had, to, I said, well, let me come in for an interview, and I got offered the job, and I then took that my area um, from being 37th out of 40 in the country to one first, second, and third within six months. Flipping heck. Yeah, it was. Um, it, again, we did lots. We spent lots of money. We did, we developed the sites, so we refurbished them. Did some amazing developments, and then. I saw another job. It was because that job was regional and it was it was lovely. It was great. Um, and I felt I wanted to do something more. So I wanted a national role. So I went to work for a parcel company on a national role. Um, and again, that I was there for seven years and that was brilliant. And then um, a, an in, sort of an international role came up. It was a promotion. I went for it. But unfortunately, um, a guy that worked for me had a car accident and again it was one of these moments I've only I've had two where I've really evaluated my career um, and this was another one I'd spent the weekend with some friends and as you do some really close friends you get very drunk uh, I don't do it very often <laughs> in fact I, I've, I've I've had years not drinking um, and it was a, a weekend where I'd spent the whole weekend with their children and you know when you see people are uncomfortable with kids, they don't know what to say. Yeah. Have you ever seen that? And yeah. You see a friend come in with a child, and the child just stands there looking around, feeling awkward. Yes. And I'm always that person that gets down on my hands and knees and talks at their level, and I don't know why I've done it. Um, and then my friends that we were with said, "You should teach." He didn't know the backstory that that was always my ambition, and I thought, actually, if I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it. And because. Um, after my mum was, was in a hit and run when I, I went into the corporate world, the it made it did make me reevaluate and she the last thing she thought was that my plans to be a teacher were gone and dead and buried. So maybe I, I am I wanted to allay some demons. I don't know. Um but I just I got to thirty six and I thought if I don't do this now I'm never gonna do it. And I don't want to get to sixty or seventy or eighty and think I should have done that. Is it everything you thought it would be, teaching? Absolutely. I absolutely adore being in front of the children. Um, I love the idea that we are passing on. And I try to sum it up with, as when they get that today, they have to be of a certain maturity to accept it. That what I'm trying to do is pass on a legacy. Thousands and millions of people over the, the evolution of man have developed maths and this system and these processes and this knowledge and I want to pass that on to the next generation. 
Um, that's a lovely way of looking. I've never thought of it like that. That's that's really nice. It is. It's a legacy, but it's not just my legacy. It's the people that taught me and the people that taught them and the people that taught them. And I wanted to pass it on. And the biggest compliment I ever got when I left my last school was I had quite a close relationship with my... I, I was lucky enough to get quite high attaining sets. And when I handed my notice in, there was tears and um, and that was just me. But the <laughs> So I wanted to be honest with them. And the news got out before their GCSE and I didn't want that to happen. Yes. So I went in and I said, like, yes, I have answered my notice in. Um, and I wrote each of them a note. And I said, one of the picking out key things about each of those kids, because I've taught them for, for three or four years. And um, I got one of them saying, um, you've whatever you want to do, at some point in my future, I will look back and know that you've influenced my life. Especially as I, yeah, especially as I go on now to start my um, Bachelor of Education because I want to become a, a maths teacher. And I was actually really moved by it. And uh, he came out and he did get his A-star. So, um, but to see that, that, that those students develop and develop a confidence is just amazing. So the teaching bit, I absolutely adore. And you're right. Like I'm, we're going to get into in, as we as we discuss throughout this this episode, we're going to get into the problems with our job and stuff. But it's, you've got to keep reminding yourself of that, haven't you? That that's what we're in it for. And those moments, it's it, it's changing lives, isn't it? It's it's giving kids a better future. It's giving them a role model. It's giving them something to aspire to. It's empowering them, whether it's in their jobs or in their lives as a whole. And that's that's why people get into teaching. And it's despite all the problems of the job, that's what you've got to keep reminding yourself of, isn't it? Oh, yeah. it's. Um, I say it can be the best job in the world, but it can also be the worst job in the world. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Correct. Well, let's let's get into the teaching then, because I'm, I'm very interested in how different teachers um, approach lessons and, and their routine. So can I start by asking you, just to describe your morning routine from, from when you get up on, on a work day, right up to the first three things you do when you get into school. Okay, I get up. Um, what, I used time, to, what time do you get up, if you don't mind me asking? Um, I'm not an early riser. I get up about 7 o'clock. Okay. That is after having three alarms from 6.30. <laughs> right. I switch on snooze. Um, and then I usually get up just as my husband's leaving, and he sometimes makes me a cup of tea. Nice. Um, and then I'll pot around the house. So I'll check my emails, send any emails, urgent emails that I need to send that morning. Um, and then I leave the school about quarter to eight and get into. So I'm quite lucky. My school's only four miles away. Right. Um, so that's and then I, as I arrive in school, I walk in and the first thing I do is print any worksheets I want for that day. Um, and then I'm lucky in one sense in that I teach or I suppose I'm lucky for the for what I get out of it in that my tutor groups, a year 11 tutor group. So I don't have that time in tutor time sometimes where you could sneak five minutes. I could just sort of sort, sort those textbooks or sort that. Um, I haven't used a textbook in years, to be fair. <laughs> uh, or sort that out in tutor time. Sometimes you do get that bit of respite, don't you? Yes, of uh, So both of us, myself and my partner in crime, Seager, we share the tutor group. So it is, as they come in, there's a question on the board. So I don't get that. So I do have to be quite organised. So it will be sorting my um, planner. What have I got today? 
because I hope that I've thought about it the, the night before. <laughs> uh, I'm not a teacher that can wing it. I'm not, haven't got that experience. And when I have tried to wing lessons and do what I call door handle planning, I fall flat on my face. Um, so I don't, I don't have that privilege, I suppose, that some people have that knowledge. Um, so I do have to be very organised in the morning. It's it's worksheets, making sure that I've got my notebook slides ready, um, open, so I can just flip from them from one lesson to the next. Because uh, I do want it to be strict, seamless, I suppose. Well, can we get on then to the process of, of how you plan your lessons? And maybe you could um, pick a lesson either that you're teaching in the next few days or one that you taught a couple of days ago. And can you just talk us through from when you when you realise what you have to teach, what, what topic it is on the scheme of work, to actually walking through the door ready to deliver that lesson? What are your go-to resources? What are the kind of things you're thinking about when you're putting the structure together? Um. Well, first of all, I have quite a routine with all my groups because behaviour, I'm, I'm very aware that I am quite laid back. So I, I've got to be quite, I've got to have a consistent routine because I've found that if I don't start the lessons off well, they just go down the pan from from the time the students walk in. Um, so I have the same starter, a bread and butter worksheets that the students just know to come in. They pick it up, they settle down and I get a couple of minutes to do the register and I haven't got to worry about it. Um, and once I've got, they're, not, they're doing that, The I can then get them, once somebody will finish or I'll be handing books out and then we go straight into it. So that's the start of the lesson. I don't have to think about what kind of activity can I get it to introduce this topic. And is that all year groups you give the bread and butters to? Yeah, I try to. I've been doing, um, and I'm going to do a shout out for Bruno Reddy. I've been doing um, the Timetables Rockstars for Year 7. Yes. Um, the, the practice sheets, they come in, they print a pa- pick up a paper sheet. And I've had it, tried to introduce an element of phone with year seven, so I have some music playing. They've got, and they now come running down the corridor, don't press play till I get there. Um, <laughs> what, can, what kind of tunes are coming out there? Everything, anything and everything. Is we, that a bit of a music education for them as well? Uh, oh, yeah. We had, last week was David Bowie. Oh, uh, nice. Um, so anything that I just YouTube rock songs and it's whatever comes at, at the top and I think it's about four three and a half minutes long um, and it's some of the kids are sat there they're, they're really rocking out to it obviously <laughs> um, so I have that routine so that that takes less of that planning thinking out sure um, and then I'll think about what questions what's the ultimate questions I want them to get to. And I sort of try to break that down. So if I was to look at simultaneous equations, for example, I'd be saying, well, I want them to get to the point where they've got to have um, multiply both of them to get the same coefficients. Yes. Um, possibly with different signs, possibly the same signs. And that's where I want to get to by the end of the lesson. Yeah. And I try to, it's almost like in my mind, I'm thinking, what am I going to present? Because I'm a massive advocate of modelling. Yes. Um, modelling, note-taking, because I think that sometimes this this idea that they could, students think that they can absorb things by osmosis just by sitting there listening to you, it doesn't happen, especially as they move up the school. Um, so it would like to do so. I'd be looking at modelling. It would be very much whole class questioning, but I'd be sort of going through the process. Right, I'll do. I want that question, um, which I will model through uh, through the whole class question what do I do now how do I do this what do I do with substitution um, and then I would get them to do an example of the, or a question of their own 
and it depends on the topic. Sometimes it would be almost identical because it's just practicing the skill. Yep. But sometimes it would be asking them to make a bit of a um, a, a leap themselves because they'll go, actually, that's something different to what Miss has done. And then you'll get them going, what do I do here? And it, some of them now are developing this awareness that, actually, I need to, let me just try it, try something. What do I think I need to do? Because there's this learned helplessness about, and I think we get it from primary schools or from at some point with some students, when they go into a parent's evening, for example, lots of teachers say you need to ask for help more. Yes. So some students will put their hands up because they think that's what, I, what the teacher wants to hear. I've got to ask for help when I'm stuck. And it's almost like, a, for me, it's almost like a cop eight because yes. and now I'm trying to, to develop this, the skills for them to try. And I'm saying, but it's not the end of the world if you get it wrong. Of course. So with simultaneous equations, I'd be looking for them to take a bit of a leap themselves. Um, and then I'd bring them back and we'd model a slightly different one where we did have to multiply to get the same coefficients um, and then get them to do maybe again make a leap for themselves so in my mind I'm constantly thinking about the questions what is it I want them to do and then I will look for the activities because I might not just give them a question on the board it might be a a connect for or a murder mystery because I think they still need that engagement yes because we still need them to think it's fun and I, I, I talk about teaching by stealth that I'll hide the difficulty in the activity if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So it could, if I was doing standard form, for example, I might do top trumps with standard form, where the the cards they're using, they get more difficult, and then some of the numbers aren't in standard form, so they've got to convert. That's where I, my ultimate aim would be. Um, and yes. can I can I can I ask quickly just at this stage because it seems it's very similar. I mean, you said a couple of things that resonate re really kind of soundly with me. Um, and I think you'd, I don't know if you'd agree with me or not here, but the way you're presenting that, this this idea of modelling and demonstrating, would be very much seen as a kind of traditional way of way of teaching. Um, would you, and I think I know the answer to this, but would you, if you were being observed, or say Ofsted were in, as I know they were recently in your school, would you keep that same routine? Would you be happy with that? Or would you kind of bow to the pressure that there seems to be for kids to discover everything? And as you say, learning by osmosis and kids all working on different things right from the start of the lesson. Um, during my Ofsted lesson, I didn't do any jazz hands, as I call it. Yep. But it was still, because <laughs> that's what it is. Of course still, it is, of course it is. And it's this understanding that actually, if you look deeper, the, the pet, and I've just been looking for a worksheet um, on the topic that I'm, I'm doing later on with my year sevens, because we're forming equations, um, looking at algebra, some simple substitution. And I just think that, I don't want them to do more of the same. I want them to take these these steps. So I'm looking for something very specific that's got some real pedagogy behind it. And that's quite subtle for an observer to see. Yes. So we do have to... So my play in the game was very much... It was a bread and butter. It was because... And I explained that... Cause I, me being me, I went up to the, the inspector and said, <laughs> this is why we do it. <laughs> yeah. We're embedding these basic skills because there is no... And the one thing I have liked about, maybe it's just because I'm, I'm more aware of the, the goings on in the maths world, that um, there is an acceptance that actually it's okay for this interleave practice, as long as we call it interleave practice and don't call it just practice. Um, 
because we need to we need to educate people that do observe to say what is it I'm seeing I'm not just seeing a a sheet with a hundred questions on because there is this subtle difficulty or escalation of difficulty um, so I wouldn't call it that I in the past I have done so I've done oh god I did around the world where there was anagrams where they had to solve the anagrams to get the next clue from me. <laughs> And then they came and placed them themselves on the world map once they'd found the anagram of Australia. <laughs> and it was just... And funnily enough, that got an outstanding in the days that you we were graded. Did, it, yes. did the kids make massive... No, they just thought it was fun. And when you say, because again, it's, it's something that resonates a lot with me. We were Ofsteaded uh, recently ourselves uh, last month. And I made a point as well, because I was very aware that our, our inspectors were non-math specialists. And I think it, it makes a huge, huge difference. Because um, I'm fortunate that I get to observe lessons across maths, but also across other subjects. But I, I don't have a flipping clue what I'm looking for in a history lesson or a geography lesson. Certainly, I can't pick up on the subtleties exactly as you're mentioning there. So I made it very clear in my lesson plan exactly why I was doing absolutely everything I was doing so when the non-specialist came to see me that they could see the justification and um, did you do something similar was it in the lesson plan or did you literally go and tell them as they came in it was both um, because I knew that he wouldn't take the lesson plan with him yes um, so I made it so I wanted something that was documented to say that actually the reason I'm using this is because so, for example, my Connect Fours aren't just Connect Four numbers. They, and I think I've blogged about this recently. There is this, in order to connect the four, they have to, there's this um, increasing level of difficulty um, that I can spot straight, not not spot, that's wrong, um, that the kids have to do a quest, one of four types of questions, but they're all, each one's getting more difficult in order to connect four. So it's hiding the foot, the maths behind fun yes uh, just because of the nature of students today they do need to be engaged some some schools they don't you, you find they don't need that um and i've seen some amazing teachers where it is very much it's very didactic and the 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 um learning comes from the questioning which is brilliant but i think you've got to be quite experienced to to, to be able to pick up on the Billy Connolly talked about beige people, um, <laughs> and he is an idol of mine. Um, but he talks about the, the people that blend into the backgrounds, and you've got to be really careful about those students that will just sit there nodding their heads and actually haven't got a Scooby Doo what's going on. Yes. Um, but the playing the game with Ofsted, and I, 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 um, I don't know whether this is whether this is pertinent, but the for me the biggest thing that is stopping us in maths from adopting some of the amazing practice that would be or some of the practice we're being told that is amazing is the fact that the limiting factor with our Ofsted inspections is teaching and learning mm. and whilst teaching and learning can never you can never get an outstanding on your whole or overall judgment while your teaching and learning is over, is only good we've still got to be jumping through hoops not got to be I'm, and I'm fighting against it there is a perception that we still need to be doing jazz hands lessons. Yes. Um, in order, because it's not just, mm, the judgment's not just on me. The judgment, my teaching could depend on a whole school's judgment. Yes. the learning. We were sat in your lesson a minute ago where we've had yeah. our bread, bread and butter starter. Yeah. We've um, had an 
an engaging activity that maybe a connect for maybe a murder mystery how is the lesson how are you wrapping up the lesson um i always do so towards the end after they've done a bit of practice i'll bring them back and we've gone through the whole teacher discussion where i may take them on a bit and push them on with a different kind of activity um and then towards the end it is very much the one thing i do try to do is leave plenty of time at the end of the lesson um just for me to check they've got it do i need to do more how do they feel about it so i will do one big review question that's on the boards sometimes we swap books sometimes i get them to mark it and then i ask them to be honest and it's amazing after i've done it for a while and i use something that i found on twitter the rag one two three thing what could you just explain what that is so at the end of the lesson it's review big review in their book and i we do this question and underneath it they will rate their efforts and their, their understanding and they write it as so they'll write hashtag rag one two three some of them will circle so the first bit is effort so and it's slightly different people have or different people have adopted it in different ways so i use red amber green for understanding so for for effort because i want them for me effort become comes before understanding okay that's interesting i like that so i will get them to rate their effort they'll either go um that actually i could have done today was shocking or i could have done better or absolutely i absolutely flew through this and i rocked and then they rate their understanding one two three where three is the highest understanding and, and do you find that they're, they're honest with their um evaluation of their efforts yes very much so um, to start off with, it was, oh, I'm going to write a G2 all the time. Yes. <laughs> um, but once you start giving them, and I, some, all I do then is I'll just flick through at the end of the lesson because they, they put, open them at the end on a, the front of the desk as they're leaving. Um, and I'll flick through and go, okay, I, I'm, I'm happy with that. I can see they got the right answer or didn't. But generally, if I'm feeling a bit iffy about it, I will get them to pass their books to somebody else to mark. Yes. I remember as a trainee teacher, I used to be petrified about peer assessments, and <laughs> um, and I wanted to mark everything. I was mad. <laughs> <laughs> you must be must be bonkers thinking you can mark everything. And I used to, I, I used to be a bit paranoid about is that time wasted marking or giving them the answers. And I'd probably say I'd probably give at least ten fifteen minutes a lesson where we're marking answers that we've done in that lesson. Yes. And I think that's underrated. I agree. No, I agree. So um, it, the, the whole thing then is wrapping this up with this rag one, two, three. So Kev Lister, um, I haven't used it the way he has. And I've got that written on my side of my board saying hashtag rag one, two, three. Um, and even now the kids, even when we, I don't do it, they go, Miss, you haven't asked us to do this. So it's become a, a, a pretty part, standard part of my practice, I'd say. And is that recorded anywhere apart from in their books? No, just in their books. It is just, it's almost like a little private thing between me. Sure. Um, it's not something, I, I don't keep any evidence, I don't keep a paper trail. That's really nice. Oh, I like that. So that's that sounds to me like a, a really solid lesson format. Yes. And I think there's a lot to be said for consistency as well. Where you're saying there that the kids, when you don't do something, are asking where is it. That's a sign that they know how the lesson's going to be run. And I think that's an underrated thing there, that kids then start to feel comfortable. They start to feel like they know what to expect yeah. and they know the boundaries and all that kind of thing. And I think that's that's a very underrated thing. And I, I still still amazes me that, well, as I say, we had Ofsted in recently and, and any school I visit that's having an Ofsted, 
whenever a teacher completely changes what they're going to do, you know it's going to be a disaster of a lesson because the kids don't know what to expect. They don't no. know how they're supposed to behave. They don't know how they're supposed to respond. They don't know what their role is in the lesson. They don't know what's coming next. And yeah, I think it's a cliche, but the best thing you can do if you're being observed or the best thing you can do just generally is to develop a consistent routine that your kids know and will follow and will prosper and thrive in. And if successful teaching is all about kids making progress and being engaged, then for me, consistency and finding a structure that works for you and your class is the number one way to achieve that. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I think it is, it's about having a personality as a teacher and the rapport with the students. But that doesn't come overnight. No. Um, and I'm, having moved to schools, I know how hard that is for most, for lots of people. Um, and then having a routine before, because relationships just don't develop in days it takes weeks months and for some students they'll never get used to you and but at least the one thing they will know is that when i go into that room i know what to expect um there are occasions where once you've got a good enough relationship with a group and you know that you are still in control i suppose is that yeah i suppose it is yeah um there will be times where you want to take them out of their comfort zone and throw in something that's um I don't know sometimes as teachers we've got to have that freedom to actually get a bit excited about maths as well say actually I found this and I really want to show you um so my my year eights last year I found um Vi Vi Hart's Pythagoras thing where she's she does these amazing doodles yeah that's lovely that on YouTube yeah that's a brilliant yeah. one and we there was a couple of them they were like oh can we see that and they and they started drawing these we got onto drawing fractals and they got they've started going we spend a lesson drawing fractals and I was thinking actually no we can't <laughs> um, and then one of the kids came in and brought me this picture that they'd done and it was it was amazing to have that kind of uh, it was almost like a, the, the trust there for me was actually I'm, I'm quite happy to go off piece a bit now yes but that yeah. doesn't happen it, it will come and I think that's why PGC sometimes PGC students sometimes it's quite it, well, it is tough on your PGC at the best of times. Um, it's because it takes that time to build up a relationship. And so they, they're doing all these engaging activities that sometimes the kids don't quite understand because it's so different to the norm. Yes. Um, but I just, when, when we've had students in the past, I've always said, make the most of it because these lessons that you're going to see as, as, as kids now from these teachers that are coming in, are probably going to be some of the funniest lessons that you're going to ever going to have. That's right. That's right. You learn a lot from um, trainee teachers. Least of all is the motivation and the enthusiasm, and it's nice. It's nice to get that. Absolutely. Um, can I ask you as well, just whilst we're on this kind of routine and planning lessons, and this is a question I get asked quite a bit, but how do you keep track and organise all your resources that you've built up over the last few years? What, what's your system so you can easily track something down? Um, I tend to put them on the blog if I'm really I really like it, um, but I tend not to use the blog for for my teaching for to find stuff. I'm very old fashioned. I have a filing system that says number, shape, algebra, data. I try not to keep lessons. Um, I, well, I do. I keep old lessons, but I I tend to keep everything so it's Pythagoras and everything I've used for Pythagoras is in there. And I'll search by date. Well, what did I do last year or what did I do last time I taught it? Um, so it is just a filing system on my laptop. In terms of my planning, I've got an old-fashioned 
um, paper planner I've that's just a diary, and I'll plan forward in it. But I've, I've tapped toys with Idosio, um, and that what's, works. what's that? Could you just talk us through that? So it's a it's a teacher planner app on your iPad. It is very very good, um, but I, I kept forgetting my iPad. <laughs> um, but it's it's brilliant. So it's it's a teacher planner mark book. The seating plans on it, interactive seating plans, are just brilliant. That you can take the kids' photographs on the, the iPads and move them around the the uh, desktop. So it's you can constantly change them. Um, it is just it's an amazing app. It costs a few I think it's a few quid, um, but nothing outrageous. But it is absolutely brilliant if you've got the time. It's and what also, what's the name of that again? Sorry, Mel. Idocio, I D O C E O. It's it's brilliant. It really is good. There's um, it it takes some time setting up, probably a couple of hours to get your head around it. You, they, they're constantly being updated with some amazing. So the MacBook's got little Excel things in it, and I like um the fact that when you go into a class, you can actually imagine you're collecting that homework in. You you go to the class and there's um, you can set up one of the columns in your MacBook to just be a yes no tick. So, yes, and you're going around, you're going, yes, you've got it, no, you haven't, yes, you have, yes, yes. And so instantly you're capturing as you're walking around those that haven't and those that have said hands in homework. Um, it's got it's about being disciplined in the, in your organisation. So I start September and I get to about now where it starts trickling off a bit. And, <laughs> and then February half term, I'll notice that actually I was much more organised before because I'm not very organised. <laughs> well that that leads me to my next question actually what um are there any other apps um that you use to help you with your work because i know whenever i've seen you at conferences and stuff I, i've seen you with your ipad and i've seen you annotating over um exam papers to write work solutions and stuff are there any kind of go-to apps that you have that help with any part of your of your teaching job um, Notability, again, it's another app. You import PDFs in, you annotate, um, and then you can export PDFs. It's absolutely amazing. Um, you can, it's, it's just a, a way of using your note, your iPad as a notebook. So, um, app, I couldn't be, I couldn't do without that now. So I will go and I'll make notes on it. Um, and I know people, some people use OneNote or some of the other apps that come with Microsoft. I, I toyed with them, but notability for me because I still like writing. Um, I, I, hand, typed notes for me just don't do it. I like to see, I like to be able to doodle because it makes my, when I'm sat there, I, I do doodle. Um, but <laughs> and, I, and, and type, trying to type maths is a waste of time anyway, right? You've got to be, you've got to be handwriting it. Oh yeah, absolutely. The, uh, you've got to, you've got to engage with the maths, haven't you? You've got to play with it and have fun with it and, and I've, so I've used that lots with, especially with the exam papers. Um, it's good as a teacher just to be able to sometimes take the time to actually I want to do a bit of maths. And so I do sit there at night time sometimes think, and especially through all having all the SAMs, I want to understand the complexity. And it's been twice I think where I thought I don't know where to go with this question. Yes. Oh, you God, I've been there myself. The flipping hard, some of them. Some of them are, but it's. It, <laughs> Some of them's not. Some of it is nice math. Oh, it's lovely. Oh, don't, yeah. Don't get me wrong. It's it's nice to be challenged by it. It's nice, to, like you say before, it's nice to be thrown out your comfort zone, even yeah. as a teacher with with some of those questions. They're beautiful yeah. questions. 
if we can move on just to just thinking a bit more about teaching um so you've talked about the structure of your lessons could you if possible could you think of a recent lesson that you've taught or one in recent memory that went badly for you um and what what was the reason it went bad and what did you learn from it probably trying to teach simultaneous equations to a year 10 group that i'd over egged their algebra I'd overegged the ability to be able to substitute numbers in once they'd, they'd um, either eliminated um, or had eliminated one of the X or Y. And we've got ourselves in a tiz where left, right and centre, I had those hands going up. I don't get it. I don't get it. What do I do now? Why are we doing that? I don't get it. To the point where I felt out of control. Because I think the prep, it would have been one of those lessons where I got to school, I don't know what had happened, but it was just, right, I know I'm doing simultaneous equations. And I hadn't thought about what do they need to know or to be really confident with. I needed them to be really good at being able to throw in a number into an equation to be able to work out another value. And they just didn't get it. They couldn't see. So I've worked out X. So once I got X is 2, I can throw that into either equation one, equation two, or even equation three. They just, there was something missing about their understanding. And I kicked myself to the point. And it was, I just felt like I was in, out of control. They were out of control. Um, and it was, I just stood there in the mid, at the back of the class and went, right, guys, I think I've over-egged it. I think we'll come back to this tomorrow. And they were like, oh, thank God for that. Um, and the honesty of being able to say, I yeah. don't think we're ready for this. I think we need to take a step back was appreciated by them because they they got to the point where it was just, they were then fretting that they couldn't get it. And it was that moment of panic that some people get um, when faced with, I can't do this, I can't do it. And I, there was almost a point, though, you could see it, that this negativity was becoming infectious, that yes. everybody got it. Yes. And I had to stop it. I had to stop where I thought, if I try to reintroduce this topic to them again, they're going to instantly switch off for me. So Correct. I've got to stop this now. Um, and I just stood there and said, right, let's stop. Everybody pens down. We're going to come back this tomorrow. Let's take a step back. And I, I then had to wing some questions, and we just went right back to first principles of substituting numbers Yes. before we got on to, so how can I have two unknowns? Yes. Uh, and it was, it, I felt, I felt um, quite embarrassed for myself that I'd over-egged it, and I know that some of them felt that they'd let me down, and I didn't want them to feel that. What, what did you do the, the, the next lesson? How did that go? We did a bit more substitution, and then we introduced um, substituting two letters into one equation. And it was that was quite fascinating, because then one of the students piped up from the back of the classroom. So, miss, if I have one equation, no, if I have one unknown, I need one, unqu one equation. I said, yeah. He said, so can I ever have, can I ever work out two unknowns from one equation? And it nice. was almost like... He got this point where he went, okay, so I can see why I'm doing the simultaneous, because I've got two equations, two unknowns. And then another kid at the back, other side of the room went, does that mean, and he, he, I think he was trying to, to be a bit of a clown. He went, so if I have three unknowns, miss, does that, do I need three equations? 
And then somebody else piped up. Oh, so 27 and 9 have 27 <laughs> equations. And it was almost, it became a bit of a joke, but it was almost this, this epiphany for one student one as to why they needed the two equations with two unknowns. And I think I needed to have gone back to, to that principle um, with algebra um, with them before introducing. And it was, I went straight in for the abstract rather than any understanding of, of what it meant. If that makes sense, it, it makes perfect sense. And I, I'll tell you what, there's a, there's, a, there's about ten things you've said there that I, I, again resonate with me. The first is that, I mean, you, you did the completely right thing to to kind of hold up your hands and say, right, well, we're stopping this now. And there's been many a time where, I mean, I've been in that situation, perhaps young, earlier on in my career, and you just kind of think, well, the only option is to to ride this out, just to keep persisting and persisting. And it's like watching a car crash. It just gets worse and worse and worse. And yeah. and as you say, that negativity spreads. I think that there's a tipping point um, in, in, in often in lessons, certainly my lessons anyway, that if one or two people don't get something, you're probably all right. You can isolate that and you can go and sit with them. But one, once it becomes three or four, then it spreads and spreads and spreads. And before you know it, everyone's claiming they don't get things. Yeah. And I certainly find that maths, more than any subject, is a confidence subject. And once your confidence goes in something forget it you're in big big trouble and it takes a hell of a lot to turn that round and specifically with with simultaneous equations um i as part of my diagnostic question stuff i I do a thing where uh, i break down a simultaneous equations question like a five mark gcse one and i reckon there's about seven completely separate different skills involved in simultaneous equations so first you've got to get the get the same number of x's and y's you've got to manipulate an algebraic expression then you've got to either add or subtract some algebra and often some negative numbers comes into play then you've got to solve a linear equation then you've got to substitute back in and all these separate skills so it's not the case that kids either can or can't do simultaneous equations there's there's certain aspects of it that they need isolating yes. but what you've said there is that kids were having trouble with one particular bit of it but in their head they can't do simultaneous equations because they they the students can't break down which bit of the process they're struggling with. It's just the whole topic yes. is a write-off for them. And you're absolutely right. Unless you take that step back, if, I mean, if you'd have persisted with that, those kids would have left that room thinking, I absolutely hate simultaneous equations. I'm never going to be able to do it again. But you taking that step back and saying, all right, something's going wrong here. I'm going to reevaluate this. We're going to go back to basics. Just relax, everybody. It'll be absolutely fine tomorrow. That's That's retrieved a potentially irretrievable situation. And I think... You're right. It takes a lot, and it takes experience. It takes a relationship with the kids, but that is that's a key part of teaching, right? Because lessons can't go well all the time, and it's for me, it's it's the bad lessons that make the teacher. It's it's the bad lessons that and how you respond to them that really kind of make you as a teacher and also help your kids kind of progress and enjoy mathematics and form that relationship. Yeah, there's, there was a time when I would come home and beat myself up yes. about it and thought what I, what I could have done better. But I think I've got to the point now where I'm okay to say to myself, actually, good enough is good enough. Yes. Um, but also, I went in and I, on this next lesson, it was very much right. We're going to do this take two. Um, and they, they were much more open to it. But I think you're absolutely bang on when you talk about this being able to isolate the skills because you very... Lots of times we've, I say to students, it isn't this, it isn't the, the, call it the sexy maths, it isn't the, 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 the new maths I'm teaching you don't get. 
what you're struggling with is, for example, your times tables or your numbers. Yes. yes. And that's getting you, that's why you're getting the wrong answer. The wrong, because the bit you're doing with the process I'm teaching you, or this, this new skill I'm teaching you, you're, you're getting that, but you're getting the wrong answer. Yes. Because you've thought that 16 plus 16 is 34, not 32. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, abso- you're absolutely right. And I'll, if I just, I'll just share a quick story. Cause I, I had a flipping nightmare uh, last year with, I had a year 11 class, an absolutely delightful class. And um, I was teaching them vectors. And as you'll know yourself, often in year 11, you don't actually get a chance to teach that many new topics because they've covered everything in kind yeah. of 7, 8, 9 and 10. And most of year 11 tends to be revision. But vectors was something I was really looking forward to because it was a brand new topic. And I thought really carefully about how I was going to teach it. And I thought during the lesson, I'm absolutely nailing this. And the kids seemed to be enjoying it and everything was everything was going well. So I thought I'll chuck up a nasty little uh, GCSE exam question. One of those question 24, back of the Edexcel paper. Part A is like, they, they, they lure you in with a nice easy one. Part A, describe... Uh, write in its simplest form the vector that gets you from P to Q and it's always something like A plus B or A minus B in fact one of my kids says he, he never knows the answer he just writes down A minus B because more often than Brilliant. not that's right so so yeah, we d- <laughs> it's a good it's a good strategy so we uh, we nailed part A so everyone was happy with that and then part B was one of those classics it was um prove that two lines are parallel what well, one of those ones um and the kids were working and we've done a few few of those examples so i said to them right this is your chance to shine i'll give you five minutes how many of you can get this right so they're working the way through it all the way drawing all the lines everything that i've taught them and then i i projected the mark scheme up and i said right put your hands up if you got four out of four and there was only two hands out of 20 went up and i thought what the flipping x happened here and the confidence and the morale in the room just absolutely evaporated. And it was only when I kind of, we, we started to deconstruct it, that what had actually gone wrong is it wasn't their lack of understanding the vectors that had caused the problem. It was the final step whenever they were faced with something like minus A plus three quarters of A, and they had to combine those two things together. Fractions. Yeah, and it was fractions and negative numbers, nothing to do with vectors in the slightest. Yeah. But because I hadn't identified that as a, a feature of that question and hadn't isolated that as a separate skill and assessed that they could do that first at the start of the lesson before yeah. trying to teach them this new skill, in the kids' heads, they can't do vectors, whereas in fact, they just needed a little recap, as you say, on the fundamentals. And it took me at least another lesson to build them back up and show them that, in fact, they were absolutely fine with the new skill. It was just refreshing the old skill. Old and I think one of the lessons I've took from that, and when I do my kind of talks and stuff, and obviously I'm plugging diagnostic questions yeah. at the time, but what I say is before I teach anything new, I try to think of three fundamental key skills that kids need to be secure on, to be able to access the new material. And I make sure we assess them at the start of the lesson. And if they get them wrong, there is no point going on to the new stuff because, again, you're just going to have to sort this out further down the road and you'll be in a worse position because the kids will think they can't do the new stuff. And it's probably been the single biggest thing that's improved my teaching, I think, in the last few years, this not just thinking about teaching a lesson, but thinking exactly what skills come into 
whatever subject I'm teaching and often it'll be strange ones that unless you think about it you don't associate it like I say with negative numbers and vectors or um, negative numbers and simultaneous equations or as you were saying fundamentals of multiplication with any particular topic and unless you isolate them and test them and get the kids secure with them again you're heading for a series of, of incidents that myself and you have, have, have experienced there absolutely it was quite interesting with a, another year 10 group we were doing forming equations, and I'd used something from Don Stewart, his 15 pens. Ah, um, lovely. Yes, I love that. It's an absolutely amazing resource. Um, and we've gone through the 15 pens. I want one more in the second part than, than in the first part, one more in the third part than the second part, if that makes sense. Yes. And we've gone through, and we were forming this equation, and they couldn't see how I'd got to the point where it was collecting like terms. And again, I'd over-egged. They can't collect like terms. How have we got to the... Remember, the, this, it's a new, relatively new school, so lots of this prior knowledge was still assessing what they, they were taught before and their gap generation, and that's no excuse. They didn't know it. Um, so, and it was... I don't understand how you've not... You can't understand how I've now got three X's or three N's, as we decided to call them. Um, and again, I had to backtrack and spend some time talking about... How do we collect like terms? And I think that, again, going back, referring back to our Ofsted inspection, that was one thing that the Ofsted inspector was really interested in, is how, what are we doing to assess prior knowledge? Yes. Um, to make sure they've got these skills. So things like the diagnostic questions is absolutely amazing for that kind of thing, to pick up on these skills that sometimes you don't think are associated, you take for granted we, again, one of the things you think about when you're told as a trainee teacher that I thought it was a whole load of tosh was that we don't we forget what it's like to be a learner. Yes. And sometimes we forget that these students have got the skills. What they don't know how to do is they don't relate collecting like terms with a new area of maths. Yes. Um, it's that fluency and making sure we've got this. And it does fluency and recall, quick recalls, nothing but that we're not, we're reducing the cognitive load for them so that they can just, we remind them before the lesson or at the start of the lesson that actually this isn't going to involve collecting like terms um, because otherwise they just get frustrated and I don't understand and it's about making sure that doesn't happen. Absolutely. Um, well, if we can move now, if that's all right, into uh, into running a department, and um, I'd like to start with, if you could just tell tell the listeners, and, and myself actually, um, how did the, and I'm saying his name right here, Seagar, I keep wanting to say Seagar, Seagar, perfect, how did the Seagar and Mel Dream Team come about, what's what's the history there? Um, he was, when I went for my, my first teaching job, um, I always wanted, having, because of the journey I went on, I wanted to work in a challenging school. I, I never saw myself working in a, a grammar school or um, anywhere. Not, I'm not saying it, I'm not nice, but um, <laughs> I never I, I always, because teaching for me was I wanted to make a difference. Um, so I went for an interview at a local school and I, I came away lunchtime because I didn't feel it was right. And then I went for this school that was National Challenge. Um, and from the moment I walked in, I thought, I want to work here. It was such a nice feeling, that it, everything about it. And Seagull had just been made head of maths. And there was only two of us up for the job. Um, me and a guy that turned up and asked for his worksheets to be photocopied in the morning of the interview. Oh, God. <laughs> so straight, and there's me. Not, One nil to you straight away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I've got all my Tazias printed out. And, 
cut up and laminated <laughs> as you do um and so i was there and i got offered the job i started in the june um because that was part of the negotiation and then at the at the end of my nqt year there was we were still doing one-to-ones as part of this the funding that was in place at the time for catch-up for year nines and our coordinator left and i asked if i could take it on um and i did and then i there was a second department position came up so i've worked with him now for about seven or eight years um and being national challenge our results were through the floor i joined and we just got to i think 41 percent in maths yeah they had dropped as low as i believe they were in the 20s the 30s um but it was a tough school tough um higher dachi racing uh, which is a measure of deprivation but the students there were absolute they were they were amazing um they were really hungry for it but i wasn't there in the dark days i came just after it allegedly the the behavior was really bad um and there was, it wasn't one single thing that made a difference there, but our maths department there, we'd all done our NQTs there, we were all very um, trusted, I suppose. Um, and Seeger being very ambitious, it was his first, he'd been there for his, since his NQT, he was very ambitious, he knew what he wanted to do. Um, and it was the days when early entry was around. Yes. Um, and that, our kind of cohort at the time, we did use your early entry, I make no bones about it, but we did it for a reason. We were never one of the schools that did it and stopped teaching maths. Right. Um, we did it because we talk about having the three Ps, prisons, pregnancies and proofs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because we had students that in order to improve their life chances, we need to make sure not everybody was going to see year 11-8 with us, if we're brutally yes. honest. Yeah. Um, and so we did do early entry, and, and early entry to us, when it went, was probably only worth about 4% anyway. Okay. So, um, and well, we I, just worked well. Well, apart from early entry, and apart from the kind of obvious chemistry that there is, between you and Seagar, and also between, by what it sounds like, between the department that you got, were there any policies and strategies that you employed that, looking back, you think actually they they were key? They were key to getting the successful and the amazing results that you that you ended up getting. Um, our one to one program was amazing. Um, not not necessarily for the extra time that we got with the students, because obviously that any time we get for, for, to do extra maths is brilliant. Yeah. Um, but we were doing that with our core, probably 60 kids in year 11 where we'd pull them out of PE. So some sporty boys didn't like it. That was, that was an, an amazing thing to do. Like I say, not for the time. I think it was more to do with knowing that we were prepared to invest in those students. Um, and building a relationship with the students that actually, that made them know that we believed in them. And, I'm not saying it was all to do with the relationship, but sometimes for some key students, it might have been the only time that they were ever told that, actually, I think you can get this. You can do better than you're achieving now. But it does involve hard work. Um, and there's been, never been a, a point where we've thought, told students it's going to be easy. It is going to be hard. It's going to be tough. There's going to be times when they don't want to learn. But learning is never meant, it's not always meant to be easy, I don't think. Sometimes you get to the point where you do hit a brick wall. It's about how you react with that. So the one-to-one was massive. 
Um, we used to do occasional Saturday schools, but never anything. It was always revision just before the exams. Yes. Um, but at school, things like for us, for some schools, having in-class calculators that are the same as the ones they will use in the exam yep. make a massive difference. So little thing, it seems like a little thing now because I'm in a privileged position where our calculators are the same, but some schools I know still don't. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so they get used to, hey, do I find pi and they're not sat there. Not Things like exam packs for some students and not relying on, and I know the purists out there will say, no, <laughs> they're flipping themselves. But some students are never going to do that. And who are we hurting? Are we hurting them, or are we hurting the school results by withholding them? It's interesting. You, it's interesting you say that. When I I, I move school, um, this is well, it's my fifth year now in this school, but I still consider it like my, my new school that I'm in. And I, I'd <laughs> I'd moved from uh, it was a, a comprehensive in, in Formby near Liverpool. I used to teach in, but quite an affluent area. And then I've moved to a school in Bolton, which is in in a fairly challenging area. And I, funny you should say that about the calculators. I, we we never lent calculators out in in Formby. If the kids didn't have them, they didn't have them and they got detention and I came here thinking of doing the same thing and obviously none of the kids were bringing calculators and I was saying right well you're just gonna have to suffer and all that and then my deputy head said to me in a very nice way just said well who who's suffering here like the kids are suffering we, we as a school are going to suffer like nobody's gaining from this the kids either can't afford calculators or it's the, literally the last thing on their mind is to pack a calculator in the yeah. morning and as soon as you realize that and if you're lucky enough to either have a class set of calculators or get your own or whatever it just it takes a stress off it it gets it, it's 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 a, a source of conflict that's removed at the start of each lesson and as you say it allows the kids to get used to the most important piece of equipment that they're going to be using in the exam and yeah i think i think a lot of i think in a lot of schools and it is done for the right reasons i think but in a lot of schools they they put too much emphasis on kids bringing pens rulers and all that kind of equipment whenever there's probably a lot more benefit in just yeah, yeah, saying, all right, bring them. But if you haven't got them, here they go. Bang, bang, bang. Yeah. Now let's get on with some learning. Yeah, our school has just introduced, um, which I think is a brilliant idea, we have tutor pencil cases. So as part of our start of the day check, it is our responsibility to check that the kids have got pens, pencils. And if they haven't, you give them a pencil case, it's got their name on it, and you issue a consequence there and then. But it isn't down to the class teachers later yes. in the day. That's nice. I like that a lot. That's so very I, nice. I thought that was a brilliant idea. Um, and I do have a couple of my tutor group that constantly say, Miss, can I get take my pencil case today? Um, and it does take it away from us during the rest of the day to think, I've got to wish you a consequence if Billy or whoever yes. has got a pencil again today, knowing that it's already been done first thing in the morning. Yes, that's very nice. Yeah. That's very... Well, so... Let's just kind of set the scene here. So you're at your previous school, you're bringing in these policies, it's gone from kind of rock bottom. Firstly, can you tell us when you and Seagull left, what what was your kind of headline results? What was your kind of your parting gift, that, uh, if, if you want to put it that way? Where did it end up? We went to 71, 86, and then the year we left was on 81, just close to 82, and that was the early entry left. That's amazing. So um, That's... against an FFT mid 50s, 60, um, because it, because of the, the cohort that was there, um, and that pupil premium, non-pupil premium gap, I think we got it down to about three percent. That's brilliant. That's amazing. So 
you, you've got these amazing results behind you, and you and Seagar move as a kind of partnership um, to to a to a new school. Yeah. Now, was it because I I, I I was in a fairly similar not not the same position, but a fairly similar position where I'd had a lot of success at my previous school, and I thought, fine, here we go, let's just bring bring that success to a new school, and it was an absolute eye opener for me moving schools. And I just wonder, did you have a similar experience? Well, was it difficult moving schools? And I wondered if you could talk about what things worked in your previous school that perhaps didn't work as well as you would have expected in the current school that you're in oh um was it difficult i would say at which point i would usually say um something about sherlock and no (laughs) we don't have an explicit rating on this podcast so we'll we'll leave it at that (laughs) um absolutely it was the toughest thing i'd ever done in teaching from the day i walked in in the over the summer we'd gone in and we'd um We'd done our classrooms, the corridor, and we're ever so excited. And we thought, hey, the kids are going to love this. <laughs> um, and from day one, it was the hardest thing I've ever done. At no point during my NQT year, my PGCE year, did I, fi- I, I ever cry. And there was a day when I was in the um, our little maths cupboard where we make coffee. Um, it's a bit bigger than the cupboard. Um, <laughs> we don't all crowd into this cupboard in the back. Um, and we'd... And I, I was sobbing my heart out because I just felt I couldn't teach. I didn't know what to do. Um, and it was really, really tough. Your reputation's gone. Yes. Um, handing in our notice and knowing that we were going off together was the, made the summer term very uncomfortable for us at our old school. Um, we felt that we'd... The, the school, we had a lot of respect there. Um, in terms of behaviour, I think, and ex- expectations, but also about the... C, not not the CPD, that's wrong, about our professionalism. Um, and all that's gone in the old school, the trust of if we've asked for a work trawl or something to be done within the department from, or we were asked to do it, the SLT knew that we'd get it done. We would do whatever they needed, they've asked us to do, um, sometimes with a bit of an argument about why it needed doing. <laughs> yeah. um, and then the new school, it was very much... We had no track records, so we had to work really hard. And we we were under no illusion that we had, and especially having set up Just Maths, just because it, it that again has evolved. We had this thing about we have we've got to make this work, and but the year eleven, eight, the last year's year eleven were amazing. They were really up for it. They bought into. Um, not capping their potential they can get whatever they want to get it is about hard work and um we just saw an opportunity with a school that was requires improvement different kind of cohorts um but it and it was it, it was been an amazing journey it's been a roller coaster um but in terms of what didn't work behavior management didn't work one iota for me and why why was that what was yeah have you, have you looking back have you been able to figure out why I think it was because in the old school I'd got the, the a reputation as you do and that had gone so I couldn't rely on that reputation and I think I probably went in a tiny bit too relaxed as I usually am yes. to the point where and the students never used to be misbehave well they did occasionally but they was usually because it was snowing or there was a bee yeah. or <laughs> yeah. um, and I, I didn't have that and it was actually I can't afford to I've got to up my game here. I can't afford to, to rest on my laurels because I 
they they don't know me from Adam. They don't know my rules, my standards. And I was constantly saying I have really high expectations. And it, that was really, it was the behaviour management. It was felt like I was, I'd gone back to my PGCE. Yeah, I completely agree. I felt exactly the same. Um, and there's times you can't beat yourself up about it. The one thing I would say is not the school, it's not the students, it's you yes. as a teacher. It is just that it's tough, it, but it's almost like an unwritten rule that nobody ever talks about. <laughs> nobody wants to tell you it's tough. Yeah. And I wish somebody had looked me in the eye and said, it's, you're going to get times when you're going to feel like a, a newbie teacher. I mean, I, I, I agree. Like, um, I, I would go as so far as to say it was worse, worse than being a new teacher. Because at least when you're a new teacher, you almost don't know what to expect. You haven't got anything to, you haven't got anything to look back on. And <laughs> whereas yeah. when you've been teaching for a few years and had the kind of success and got on well, those glory days are behind you and you teach it. And I remember one of my first lessons in this, in this new school. I thought, is this a joke? Is, has somebody paid someone to set me up here? Like, I'd never witnessed anything. The kids could not have cared less. I was talking, on, my jokes were dying for a start, so I was annoyed already. And they just had no interest in w- anything I was saying whatsoever. And it took, I, like, I, I came home crying probably every day from September to December thinking, and I told my wife, I have made the worst mistake of my life moving schools. And it's, you're absolutely right. <laughs> no, People need to start telling people it about is. it because it's a shock. It is. And I, do you know, I'd never thought about it that I didn't have, I actually, the reason I think I found it so tough, now you've said that, is that it was probably that I had a frame of reference of remembering what it was like before. For me, the, the the turning point was the half term in the October, where I think the students came back and thought, "Oh my God, you come, you're here, you're back." <laughs> That's right, yeah. And it was almost <laughs> like I don't they trust enough that yes. she's going to be here for a while. We better get used to this. Yes. Uh, but there's still a couple of students that's taken me till this year to 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 get into um, their good books with, and it's because both of us are stubborn and neither of us have wanted to back down, um, and. These students have had to up their game to, to rise to my level of expectations in terms of behaviour. And, and what is it that's kind of stood this test of time over, uh, between both schools? And by that, I mean either a policy that you've got in the maths department or something you've done as a teacher. Uh, has, it, has it been the case that now things that were working in the previous school are starting to work? Um, now that the kids are more used to it or are there some things that are kind of gold dust that actually now you think right they've worked in that situation and now they're also working in this situation um i was really impressed this is going back to probably about december of 2000 so we've been there about three months and this particular year 10 group and my pgc students uh, who came in at about the same time i unwittingly gave in this year 10 group that they were I think it, it, they saw it as a game, not realising that actually I was there for the long run. Yeah. We did a, I think it was like a murder mystery or some kind of activity work, and they were so engaged that all of a sudden I saw key characters in it that wanted to learn. It was, it was almost like a turning point for me because up until that point, like you said, um, I did think it was a joke. I thought they can't be this bad, and. It was it was about that point where I thought it's not me, it's not them, it's it's just a situation. Um, but it was things that, in terms of the activities, I think under not underestimating their ability. It is so easy to just say, um, 
actually, I'm going to water it down. I'm not going to try the challenging stuff. Yes. I don't think they can get it. But sometimes um, you try the tough stuff and they can really... That's when it gets fun for them. Yes. But it's a it's managing, as I talked about the lesson plan earlier, it's managing that in such a way that you're scaffolding it that every step of their journey is almost planned for them. And it yes. goes, that's when you know you've done an amazing job in a lesson when you thought, I nailed that. I've got to the point where I wanted them to be and at no point did nobody go, I don't get it, I've missed, you've lost me. And, but it's a really tough topic that you've taken them to above and beyond. And I've got a set one in year eight that this week we've been doing probability trees um, with conditional and unconditional, fractions, decimals, percentages, all sorts of connotations on it. And and one of them yesterday when we did it, they were drawing a picture and they were like, so could I, could I come up with my own scenario about eating biscuits? <laughs> and they, they've gone further than I ever wanted to for year eight. Um, and that's not that's whether it's right or wrong. I've, I've taken the risk in that I want to push them as far as I possibly can, and that's worked. I think is the same policy for both. Is that try to push them, and I use the phrase the Peter principle. It's when people in management get promoted to the point of incompetence. <laughs> um, they do in the real world outside of teaching, and I talk about that. I, I use that in my teaching. I will keep on teaching to the point where you don't get it, and then I'll back yeah. off. And then yes. I might take it a bit more. Oh, that's nice. I like that. But, and do you think, do you th- has moving schools made you a better teacher? Um, it's made me more conscious of my teaching. I think I was getting lazy. I think I need, I think sort of six, seven years into it, you do get to the point where you get a bit blasé. You, you're comfortable with your topics. You're comfortable with those style of students. Um, and you tend to get a, a niche, I suppose, where you, where you always get the set one or you always get the set five. Yes, five. yes. Um, so it's made me more conscious. It's really invigorated my teaching. It's made me want to be a better teacher. As to whether or not that happens, um, I haven't got a clue. I don't think I'm the one to judge. Okay, and can I can I ask you just a question again that I guess get asked a lot? You're obviously incredibly busy with with both your teaching and kind of running the department along with Sega, and also working with Just Maths and and on your blog. So how do you manage your time to try as best as possible to form a decent work life balance? And what steps do you take to help you switch off from work at home if if ever you can switch off? Um, I'm a bit of a workaholic. Um, if I was brutally honest, my husband would probably um, agree. I tend to, I try to work, so he'll come home and we'll have a couple of hours to ourselves. So we cook dinner, we chat about our day. And I, for me, that's really, that's a really important part of the day. Um, and some people would say that they do that later. It is when you get home that you want to, and he's always the first person I ring. I want to say I've had a rubbish day or this has happened or I've had a brilliant day. So the work-life balance for me is that couple of hours, hour and a half, the end of the day when I get home and we're cooking dinner, we're chatting. For me, that's lovely. Um, and then he goes to bed quite early because he's up quite late. He's, he's up. No, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> he goes to bed quite early because he's up early. Um, and so as he goes to bed, sort of nine o'clock, that's when I really get down to, to, to my work. I don't sleep a great deal never have so i'll probably work till about one um and it's amazing when there's there's no noise how much you can get done and that's not all every night um 
but for me the, the work life balance is very much conscious that I, I'll I spend the time doing what I want to do when I want to do it but you'll notice there's time when I just switch off to, I don't respond to tweets on yes. Twitter um, and I have a bit of a blog silence it's usually because I'm I found something that I want to have a binge fest on Netflix or Amazon um, and the latest one was Jack Taylor which I did this weekend oh yeah it's decent that yeah, I've oh it's that. brilliant yeah it's good it is good <laughs> we're turning into a TV recommending yeah. podcast but yeah I'd, I'd definitely recommend that that is and my I'd also chuck in myself and my wife I had a bit of a break as well we we did the whole of making a murder on Netflix which everyone's talking about that was absolutely superb as well so I'd recommend that to anybody yeah. <laughs> um, would I be able to ask you um, just we've had quite a few questions um, on Twitter and just, just a few kind of pertinent ones that I'd, I'd like to throw you away I know I'm, I'm conscious of your time here are you right just to speak for a few more yeah minutes? carry on nice one um now, with um, with your current year 11s, um, I assume that you're kind of following the same, the, the kind of big 40 from, from Just Maths um, strategy with that, I, again, with the bread and butter and all that. Is it very much a structured preparation for your year 11s in the build-up to GCSEs? Oh, I, absolutely. It's something that we've now, we know what we're doing, when we're doing it. Um, our set one and set two will follow the normal scheme of work. Um, our sets one, two and three in fact um, so we don't come away from what so we're not um, stopping them accessing any part of the curriculum in fact some of our students will go on our sets one will are being prepared for further as well and then those borderline students for us it is now to the point where we're looking at those regularly occurring topics because if we're honest about it, a lot of the, the curriculum they've accessed up until this point. Oh, of course, absolutely. Uh, and I think that came home to me when somebody asked me, have you got a multiplying decimals worksheet for a year 11 group? And I sat there and said, you're being very naive if you think they've accessed <laughs> this before. Yes. They probably left key stage two knowing how to do it. Yes. Um, and so from here on in with our year 11, we'll be very much exam. Our, Mine and Seagulls, we, we share a, um, a group of 46, 47. Uh, I know. It's, 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 do you know what? Today, somebody, one of them said, do you know what, Miss? That doesn't seem like a big group. It's when we went together, but now it just seems like a normal-sized class. Gee, not not or not all at once. Oh, no, yeah. You're joking. What, like in a hall or something? No, we, in a classroom, we, we voiced in some um, spare tables and chairs, and we could, we could seat, I think, in their 48. Um, and what what kind of what kind of ability are we talking um we're talking we've just got some students five students in there just got to be on their last mark so they'll move up to the next set to for some exam prep um and then the rest of them will be currently on we've got in the there'll be about five really low ability students or low attaining students sorry um that will currently will do the foundation and then we've got in our group will be E's, D's, E's and D's. Heck. And that's what it's working well, is it? There's no behaviour issues. The kids seem fairly motivated. Um, they do now. We've just done their first mock. We'll have another one in March. And we, because we, the one thing we brought with us was a tracking sheet on a folder. So they, yeah, I remember seeing that at a talk. At a talk, it's brilliant. That. It's um, and seeing them today, as I went, they seemed that I'd annotated it because they had the results evening like a proper mock results evening last week um seeing that when they got their folders back today i'd written on there 13 to a c one to a c and then one of the students went and found one mark in his papers. <laughs> um and 
you see them going, actually, miss, last time I was 27 away from the sea. I'm only 13 now. Um, seeing that motivation for them, and that's worked. I think we've now crossed the, the line where it was almost, what are we doing here? And we're never going to get it. That they're starting to buy into this. I think I could get this. It's within sniffing distance. And I think the key to that is what, what I, I was fortunate enough to, to come to your workshop for the in Warwick for the Edexcel conference. And it's it's the fact that it's not just saying you've got a C or you've got a D. It's the marks away, isn't it, that the, yes. that's the motivating factor. That simple thing. And I'll tell you another thing I took from, from your workshop that we, we do in our school now. And that's um, set our higher kids the foundation papers to do. Ooh. I think that is such a brilliant idea. Because you're up, well, when, I, when I suggested it, teachers were saying, well, why are we doing that? And I just said what you, what you, what you said, that... The foundation paper, firstly, the kids think they're going to get 100% on it, and they never do. So that's that's one reason. Yeah. And secondly, the foundation paper is full of questions that kids should get right, but inevitably get wrong. It's, it's like two lots of um, questions 1 to 15 on a higher paper. And it's you know kids are dropping marks on that. And as I say to, to my students, who some of them are going for an A, you can forget about your A if you've got questions wrong between questions 1 to 15. You, you've probably blown it already, or or as I say to them, any mark you drop between questions 1 to 15 is a mark you're going to have to get on a flipping horrendous question yeah. 21 or 22. So this foundation paper challenge, I think, is is a genius idea. And that's certainly something we've rolled out. And have you had anybody get 100%? Oh, I, I'd love to have a teacher who's got 100%. <laughs> it's, it's, they're not so flipping easy, these foundation papers. They're, they're really hard. So it's been, yeah, it's been, it's been an excellent motivating factor for the for the kids and and the staff have really bought into it so yeah i'd, I'd wholeheartedly recommend that yeah and um, can i ask you as well again just just a couple of questions have come in here uh, inevitably about the new gcse and um, so the first one and this is actually from my head of department karen wilkinson and i'm going to test her on this because she's claiming she's listening to these podcasts and i don't think she is so we'll <laughs> see if she recognizes her name here and um, she just wants to know how are you reporting data on your current year 11s uh, sorry current sorry year current 10. year 10s sorry current year 10s what are you using there right this is quite a um bone of contention in that it's really difficult because some schools out there are, are using the sams there's no grade boundaries and I've, I've listened to your previous podcast and graham's got some great ideas at excel personally what we've done is we're taking the current gcses because it's rigorous it's robust and we are taking out topics like questionnaires and we're replacing it with my favourite topic, frequency trees. <laughs> yes. um, I actually quite like them now. And so we're adapting the papers, not so, not so much that we're changing the assessment objective, the, 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 the format of it, but enough that it still means that the grey boundaries, I couldn't put my mortgage on it. But it's enough for us to know that we're not testing them on topics that are not going to come up. Yes. Um, so with our current year 10s, that's what we've done is we've taken a previous paper and we've adapted it. Still out of 100 on each paper. Um, and then we report a GCSE grade, but we're also cons consecutively, no concurrently, recording, re reporting a number grade where our data... Um, guy has come up and he's mapped out across saying that a C is a 4 so and we report between grades so we, we report a C.0, C.2, C.5, C.8 so we show that progression and so we've got sort of a 1.1, a 1.2, 1.5 1 
and he's mapped it across loosely based on the off call um, where they've said they're going to peg 2017's results based on yes. 2016. So that's what we're doing. By the end of this this year, when they do their end of year 10 mocks, we will probably do the similar, but what we will have done is taken the papers and split them into three to give the students ex- the experience of three papers. I see. Um, and then we're hoping that as they go into year 11, we've given them not the, ex- the exposure to the SAMs is coming through using um, the SAMs in our teaching rather than giving them to the students because it will frighten the bejesus out of them. I think that's that is a key point that yeah. we, we did that we gave them we gave them a sam the foundation sam in fact and flipping heck the, we were getting kids coming out with twos and threes there was tears yeah that those papers as a whole are a scary prospect yeah. but you're absolutely right the individual questions they need to be embedded into lessons absolutely oh, they're brilliant some of the questions so with we're hoping that as we go into year 11 with that group that we've got some other sams that are a bit more realistic yes um i know all of the exam boards are working hard on trying to come up with a solution that gives us some grade boundaries i'm not holding my breath no um but what i am saying to with with i'm constantly discussing with seager and the rest of the department that actually as we go into year 11 they'll have three papers whether we make those up or whether we continue to use the current sitting because it's rigorous um in terms of that we know that a C is still going to be a C um, or is, would have still been a C. But what we're saying is that now our students need to be aiming for a B. We know, having looked at our results plus analysis from last summer, our average point score was 105, which would have been a B overall. Um, is that if we can continue with that, that gives us a comfortable fours. And it also, in fact, gives us almost a comfortable five across the board. Um, so we have done some data, some number crunching, but using the SAMs and giving them to the students is never even we've never even considered it because they're exemplar materials. They're not, I don't believe they're meant to be used as as mocks or exam ass- assessments in the classroom as they are. I think you're right, and I think all all when I spoke to Graham, Andrew, and Neil, they all said that that. They never intended them to be seen as as mock papers. They were just to give a, a teachers an idea of the style of questions yeah. that, that may be asked and, and an idea of the content that will be covered. And yeah, it's but teachers inevitably want papers. They want a, an indication of what it's going to look like. And yeah, they they were never intended to be that. And it's just unfortunate the situation that's that's happened. But yeah, I I agree with that. And um, could I ask what what are you doing um, with years seven to to nine? In in the sense that what data are you reporting and, and are you expected to report? Do you have to give number grades or how, are you are you doing levels? What are you doing there with, with uh, those? Again, year seven and eight, we report um, key stage three levels. Uh, and Offset picked, asked us this question, what are you doing? We said we're, we are still giving the old SATs papers because, again, they're rigorous. We know... and it, we know the levels are nonsense. We know that a 4.2 doesn't really mean anything, doesn't tell you anything. But what it does mean is that a 4.2, if I measured somebody on a 4.2 on the previous test and they're now on a 4.8 on the next test, they've made some progress. Um, because we're comparing apples with apples, we're not introducing something. Only because we're not that confident in where we're going. I, I see some people are saying, well, they're going to do... Um, criterion-based testing where they're going to say, oh, of, of the 1,600 concepts, we're going to have a spreadsheet saying the student can do, they can multiply two decimals, they can multiply three-digit numbers. 
And I just think that's it's analysis paralysis. So we've gone with something that we know has worked in the past. It's it's referenced against the previous reference points for key stage three. We have been asked to change those key stage levels to numbers. So when you say using the SATS papers, just to be clear here, these are the, the classic kind of previous end of key stage three, end of year nine yeah. SATS papers. And what do you say to the kind of constant criticism that they're not... And the questions aren't in the same style as the GCSE, so there's no point asking kids those. What's the point when we're supposed to be preparing them for the high stakes exam at year 11 and we should be using GCSE questions? Is, do you ever face that question and do you have a response to it? I would love to be in the point where we've got five years worth of the current SAMs that have been through the exam system. And if we were continuing to go through with the current GCSE, that's probably what we'd be looking to do is that backtrack using past GCSE papers to our year eight and then backtrack it again to our year seven. But we're not into the, the new GCSE, so we haven't got that, that um, advantage yet. But I do think as we go forward, we will probably look to pass, to, to pass it down. So our current year nines, we use um, GCSE papers to assess. And I think that as we go forward, and we have got some SAM, some proper... Um, GCSE papers, we probably will use them to assess in year eight. Um, not the whole paper, not the whole of the foundation, but we're using elements of it based on what we've taught and when, when we've taught it. Because for me, the curriculum, it's, a, it's an 11-year journey for most of these students. It's yes. not just... And I've always thought it was a bit odd that we've got key stage three, key stage four, and the key stage three testing went... Um, couple of years before or a couple of years after I started teaching um, so I've never quite understood that key stage three thing anyway so for me I w ideally would like a five year all through we test them and, and if they come into us on the new number nine num they're not going to come in on number nine brilliant um, <laughs> the ultimate progress there <laughs> yeah a level one or sub that my, my concern is for the very small students that are going to be sub level ones yes um, and I think that's they will never, we, we know that we've still got some students across the, the country, probably, I think it's about 25,000 that will never get a grade in maths, whether it, they will always be on a year, it's probably more than 25,000. Yeah. Um, but, so they will be on P levels. And I don't, I don't know what we do with that. I do think we have to look at what we do in terms of entry level um, to try to get them a qualification but then again, what's the point if it's not worth anything out there in the real world? Uh, yeah, I think you're right. And I think that's it's a big issue that, especially with the new GC, the new foundation being more demanding, it's it's going to be an issue that's going to have to be tackled, um, whether it's the exam boards, whether it's government level. Yeah, that's that, that's that's something that's going to come to the head over the next couple yeah. of years, definitely. Um, can I just ask you one last question from me, and then I'm going to uh, turn over to the, your, your big three. So my final question is that, um, and you can kind of uh, answer, you've got almost a choice of two questions here. Um, either what do you wish you'd known when you'd first started teaching, or what would you include on a PGCE teacher training course that, that wasn't there when you, when you were doing it? Oh, what do I... I think probably what would I include um, that wasn't there would probably be lots more advice about managing your work-life balance. And because I think that's really difficult for new teachers 
Um, and I, there was none of that. It was almost like that you're, you're a new teacher, you will do what? And not challenging that you, you were never told that it's okay. To, I don't mean challenge, that's wrong. Because I know people do think I'm a bit contentious at times. <laughs> uh, and I don't, I don't mean to be. I, I genuinely don't. Um, but the, actually, the, just because we're told stuff, we're, there's all the, the, the education myths, the, the thinking hats, the, um, what's the other one? The, the way we learn, VAK. Oh yeah, kinesthetic learners yeah. and all, yeah, all that kind of thing, yeah. Was, was thrown down our throat and I, I almost wish that actually what we need to do is question the validity. It's okay to question it, but do it in such a way that it opens a, a discussion rather that it's not combative, that it is a discussion into the validity of stuff. It was, uh, maybe it was my naivety that I was never told it was okay to question stuff. Yes. And I think that new teachers should, if it's not working for them, just because it works for somebody else, it, it, that's not wrong, and that's okay too. Uh, but it's but open that discourse and discussion with somebody about why it's not working for you, but don't just accept it for facts, because sometimes a lot of it, some of these facts are just made up nonsense. <laughs> if I'm honest. <laughs> well that's a perfect segue into <laughs> into into your big three because um as i've said in my introduction i'm a huge huge fan of your blog i think it's it's one of the most interesting ones out there because you never shy away from your opinions but i don't think you're kind of contentious for the sake of being contentious you you, you kind of say what what needs to be said and and all opinions are, are your own and you, you stand by them so if someone was to visit your blog or, or the website however you want to take this for the first time what three pages Pages or posts or resources would would you direct them towards? Um, probably the first one would be for teachers that are moving school, giving them that advice that it's okay, it's not them. And I've said it before and today this evening that it's not them, it's not the school. That it is difficult because I think that was really really well received by people to have that somebody telling them that it's okay to, to find moving schools tough. Yes. So that was my first one was moving to a new school. The second one was quite a personal one that I blogged that I got, again, had an amazing response. The blogging for me, I find it weird when people say I blog because I, and I think as the more I think about it, the, the less open I've been. Um, and in the very early days, I used to blog to nobody and I still got a response. But now, in back in March, I blogged about my brother and his motorbike accident and the need to carry a, um, an organ transplants, an organ donor card. And I still wholeheartedly believe that because he, he went off, not went off. Um, he luckily, no, not luckily either. So, um, he, we, we were able to um, donate his organs after his motorbike accident. And that's really meant a different, made a difference for us as a family dealing with him um, having gone. So that, that's a personal one. It is a bit of a personal um, crusade to try to get people to carry the donor card because I do think it's important. And again, not for me, but for the people that were left behind should anything happen to me, to know that it, it helps there. Well, it has certainly helped my family grieve for my brother that I would like to know that I've done that for people that would grieve for me. So that was a set, and it is a personal one. And then the other one is a bit cheeky because it's I don't think it's... It's the new um, exam questions by topic for the, the sample assessment materials. 
Oh, the superb. Yeah, definitely mention this. Um, so I don't think that they, they're three blog posts, higher foundation and then the, those materials that are on both tiers, only because they were a bit of a labour of love because I think it was something that most maths te- the heads of maths would have loved to have, that the exam boards weren't in a situation to produce. Yes. Um, and for me... I've dipped into them almost every lesson with my year, current year 9 and 10 just for saying, and actually, guys, this is what an exam question, not that we teach the test, just they're worried about it. Absolutely. And I want them to know that, actually, I'm in control here. Not in control, but I know what we're doing. And I'm aware of the complexity of the questions. Um, and some of them were lovely. There was one today on trigonometry where we were given the value of sign. Um and we were doing trig, and they said, would it ever be on a non-calculator? And I said, actually, it could be. <laughs> yeah. Um, and before, I would have said, no, trig's always going to be on a calculator. But to have that kind of resource, I think, is fantastic. And it's always been my ethos about sharing with people. Because I genuinely think, as a, a country, we've got some amazing teachers, and we are stronger together. And that's always been my ethos along this, is to not just share, but also magpie lots of ideas. I've... Um, amassed so many ideas from people on Twitter and through emails and the blog and the conferences and and that's how we get better as teachers nationally but also for me personally so those exam questions by topic were were my were my Christmas gift to the, the maths teaching community and it was very well received one of the best presents I got this year in fact so <laughs> Did you it was nice <laughs> well you couldn't top that so that was perfect <laughs> well that's a perfect note to end on and uh, yeah Mel thanks firstly for, for your time tonight and also just for all the wonderful work you do it's, it genuinely is appreciated by every maths teacher I speak to so thank you on behalf of the maths teaching community and thanks for joining us for this podcast tonight. <laughs> So there you have it. I really hope you enjoyed that discussion as much as I did. I certainly learnt loads from it, but if I had to pick up on one takeaway, it would probably be Mel's thoughts on behaviour management and the importance of consistency and routine. And this was certainly something that I discovered myself, to my shock actually, when I moved to my new school. So I've been teaching in my previous school for six years, um, and I knew every single child there. And crucially, the students knew me, and they knew how far they could push me, and they knew what would happen if they stepped over the line. Um, And that was through just pure experience, and, and them kind of hearing stories, and me teaching brothers and sisters, and all that kind of stuff. And it was at the stage where it didn't matter if I was put on cover, and I hadn't taught a certain group of students before, it was a different subject, it was all going to be absolutely fine. I felt very comfortable going into any classroom. And then when I went to my new school, the opposite was was true. I I adopted a similar relaxed approach that, that Mel talked about, but I found that it just simply didn't work because the students didn't know what to expect and they were constantly being surprised. They had different expectations um, of different teachers. They could push certain teachers so far and, and other teachers much less. And it took me a good, certainly beyond Christmas of that first term, if not up to Easter, to kind of adopt a different style of teaching and behavior management than I had in my previous school. Or make the style that I had in my previous school fit this current school and it was purely the only way I could do it was purely by doing routines and consistent structures to lesson lesson after lesson after lesson so the students weren't surprised and 
the difficulty was was trying to still get that creativity and that that passion for mathematics in there but as mel said you can still do it a nice structured start to the lesson and then some modeling so the kids feel comfortable and then stretch them with some engaging activities and then bring them back together at the end and I went through um, a, as I say a good two or three months where that was all I did the same essential th essentially three-part lesson every single lesson and I did that until I got my classes to a stage where I was comfortable that they knew what to expect from me I knew what to expect from them and those expectations differed from from class to class and year group to year group and and then I could start to release the reins a little bit, very gradually at first. And now, like this is my fifth year at my school now, and I'm still not entirely uh, comfortable dealing with, with every single class. But I'm at the stage now where I can have the lessons exactly how I want them. But that was only through building up that consistency of routine. And I think that's the key to behavior management. It's all well and good going in armed with these amazing strategies that are supposed to work. But unless you have that relationship with the kids, unless you've put the hours in, and unless they've seen the routine, and they know what to expect from you it's not going to work and it's probably the hardest thing about teaching and it's the thing that I wish was made more of in the PGCE because it certainly it certainly caught me by surprise both when I first started teaching and even more so when I changed job and um, halfway through my current career so that was my big takeaway but anyway now it's time for everybody's favorite feature the podcast puzzle and for that let me hand back to my guest Right, my puzzle for you is based on algebra. Some of you will try it without algebra. I'm thinking of a number, I multiply it by 3 and add 20. I get the same answer if I multiply it by 5 and subtract 8. What is my number? lovely puzzle for you and your students to try there from Mel. Well, all that's left for me to do is to once again thank my guest Mel Muldowney from the Just Maths website and blog for being on the show. And links to all the things that Mel mentioned can be found in the podcast notes. And a big thank you to podcastthemes.com for the lovely jazzy music that you've heard throughout this episode. For comments and questions, or just to say hello, you can find me on Twitter, where I am at MrBartonMaths, or on email via teachers at MrBartonMaths.com. Please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or your favourite podcast platform. And if you could help spread the word about this podcast, then I would be eternally grateful. I will return next episode with another dose of mathematical goodness. Take care. Bye for now.